0: Greetings, happy warriors, and welcome to the Rabbi Daniel Appin Show, where I, your rabbi, remain resolutely committed to revealing for you how the world really works. Thanks for being part of the show, and thank you to those of you who have been so effectively communicating the uh, show to like-minded people who'd like it. Thank you to those of you who have subscribed diligently. Uh, Those numbers uh, continue to rise impressively, and that ends up being very good indeed for our little platform here. So thanks to all of you, and uh, hope you enjoy another episode of the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show that is not intended for tennis balls floating down the gutter of life? No! The Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show is intended exclusively for happy warriors. People, men and women, who with enthusiasm, passion, and joy embrace the challenges of living, beat back the dark forces that try to obstruct your progress, and celebrate moving onwards and upwards in every one of the five critical areas of our lives. Thank you for being such wonderful, happy warriors, and for being part of this opportunity I enjoy every week to impart to you just a little bit more on how the world really works. And how about we start off with a really useful pair of tips? Now, I don't care what you do or how you do it or where you do it, but there's a general truth, and that is that you only make money when you serve other human beings, or as I like to put it, when you serve God's other children. That is when it is possible for you to make money, because if you diligently serve God's other children, then in turn, they are only too happy to put money in your hands or in your pocket. Right. In exactly the same way as uh, if you need to uh, have something done to your car uh, and it's done quickly and efficiently and in a, in a price sensitive way. Uh, by a good mechanic, you're only too happy to pay. The mechanic has served you, and you in turn transfer money to him. And so we don't work as a fallback disappointment. Oh, too bad that we have to. We don't work in order to get money so as that we can then enjoy the rest of our lives that are not devoted to work. No, that's not how it works. We work in order to serve other human beings, and money flows as a natural and inevitable result of that. That's not the the tip or the strategy I want to tell you, that's just by way of introduction. And uh, since it is evident that the only way to make money other than taking it, which isn't the same as making it, uh, is to deliver a service or goods or value to another human being. So consequently, since most people choose with whom to do business, and since you will prosper the more people that choose to do business with you, it naturally follows that the more people that know you, like you, and trust you, the better off is your financial side of uh, your life. Now, that is still not the strategy that I want to impart to you in today's show. No. People choose to engage financially with those they know, like, and trust. And what conveys that you are the sort of person that somebody would like to do business with? Well, I'll tell you one of the factors, and again, being trustworthy and being likable and making obviously all of that, but there's one more thing as well, and I've been noticing it more and more frequently over the last year or so, and that is that people have developed a lackadaisical way of presenting themselves they amble rather than walk purposefully uh, if you notice how if you have to go into a government office like a post office or you have to go into any government office you'll see that by and large there is a lackadaisical way of treating customers the person uh, who greets you the reception or the first person you encounter uh, might even take a while to actually notice you, whether that is an affectation, uh, in order to convey how important they are, or whether that is uh, genuine involvement in other things. So they actually really do not notice you coming in. The result is the same thing. In in all cases, you say to yourself, if that person ever came to me for a job, I wouldn't even dream of hiring them to hold the door open, because they obviously have absolutely no interest whatsoever in engaging productively with me, the human being they're supposed to be serving at the present time. And then you notice that if a movement is required, it is a languorous, slow, movement have you ever noticed the way some people when you stop at a crosswalk to let people walk across i've noticed there's two different types of people some people amble across almost radiating an insolence i'm making you stop and i'm going to make you stop as long as i can a slow careless amble a lazy stroll across the crosswalk There are other people who acknowledge that you've stopped your car for them and they might give you a a nod of the head or even a little wave of the hand, but mainly they're walking briskly. They're not running. They're not acting dangerously, but they're walking briskly. And that is something that uh, you acknowledge and you're aware of. Um, And uh, that is very, very important. How we move conveys a very strong impression. And so whether you are in business or whether you think you're in a job and you don't realize that that's also being in business, remember that walking purposefully astride is much more significant than a stroll. And the impression that you convey is really important. So watch yourself, watch the way you move. And, uh, and again, I'm not speaking about whether, you know, when you're on vacation or when you're relaxing with family or whatever it is, but ordinarily in business affairs, in, in a more formal work environment, check to see what your instinctive mode of movement is. And uh, if it is languorous and languid, change it and you'll find a result not only in how people relate to you but also in how you yourself feel and that's still not the whole strategy i have to impart to you there's one more uh, part of it that is even more important but before that i want to ask you please to take a moment and subscribe right now to the show go ahead and uh, and get that done for me and i'll really appreciate that um just subscribe. Again, It's there is no hardship to you. There is no uh, uh, downside to it that I'm aware of. Uh, it's actually of benefit to all of us. So go ahead and subscribe and uh, make a note also. And you've done that to go to the website at rabbidaniellappin.com and take a look at an offer we have on a wonderful book called Buried Treasure. Buried Treasure is not a finance book. It's a life book. It's actually called Life Lessons from the Lord's Language. And uh, I think you will find benefit in reading up about that and perhaps getting a copy for yourself or for a for a gift. But anyway, that's Buried Treasure is the name of the book, and it's at com. Go ahead and try that, and I think you'll find benefit in that. Um, have you subscribed? <laughs> I don't want to nag you. <laughs> I don't want to uh, be a nudge, but uh, that would be a very good thing if you could. Uh, If you are on a platform that shows the number of subscribers, well, then you will see how it has been going up over the last little while. And uh, I much appreciate that. Thank you very much indeed for doing that. And the last part of the strategy I want to share with you is be the first to end a meeting or a conversation. Failing to do that leaves the unintended impression that you have all the time in the world. And that's simply not true. You don't. As a happy warrior, you have much to do. You have more to do than there's time in which to do it. And keeping the conversation going just, I'll tell you when people sometimes do this, unfortunately, when they multitask, you're having a conversation with somebody and at the same time, you're looking at uh, a notebook or you're looking at your computer or you're looking at your phone, whatever it is, that tends to prolong a conversation beyond the time it needs to. And then when the other person says, well, I'm going to let you go now, you know, you blundered. That's a really bad sign because you should be the one to do that. What that does is leave the impression that you are the busy person you are you are the productive happy warrior that you are you are the person with a whole lot of important things to do and it makes the person to whom you were talking feel more valued you weren't just hanging out with them because you got nothing better to do till they decide to end the conversation you ended it because you had business to take care of which means the time you did spend with them was given additional value so uh whether it's in-person meeting or a conversation. Make sure that when everything's been taken care of, you move on and uh, whether, you know whatever your formula is. Uh, this was a wonderful opportunity. I'm pleased we had the chance to talk and catch up. Um, thank you for taking care of that, or I will take care of what we've discussed. And um, I look forward to we chat again soon. Off you go. End of story or else... Uh, Uh, i've kept you long enough and i know you've got much to do on on you whatever your formula is but have a formula because some people find it awkward and sometimes people just hang on lingering in a conversation whose purpose has long been fulfilled simply because they don't quite know how to end it and if you were if you grew up as a sort of people-pleasing person, then it's, you're one of those people for whom it's actually quite difficult to end a conversation. And it becomes easiest if you develop for yourself a, a semi-standard formula or a few formulae uh, that you use. The, the phrasing and the wording you use, just learn it, get used to it, and that way you can end conversations as you should do because you are a busy, productive, short of time, happy warrior, right? Okay, well, I I know you're going to be able to catch on to that. And and that's really a very valuable thing to be aware of. Um, Now we go on to a new term. You know how I uh, use the phrase GIC, government indoctrination camp, for institutions that were previously known as public schools? Well, I'm introducing a new phrase. This is a phrase for progressives. It's a phrase for woke people. I don't like the term woke people because I like being awake. Um, I don't, you know, but, and you can't very well constantly term people secular socialists or secular fundamentalists or, but it's all the same thing. And here is the correct term, reality denier or RD, an RD, a reality denier. What am I talking about? What is a reality denier? Well, um, last Monday, and okay, I'm uh, preparing this podcast on, on Friday, and, uh, and again, the, uh, the material is generally and widely applicable. I think of it as evergreen, so it doesn't really matter whether you're hearing. I'm not talking about recent news, even though I'm speaking about something that happened in Los Angeles last Monday. But it doesn't matter because it happened in San Francisco the week before, and it happened in um, Chicago the other day, and it's going to happen in a city near you tomorrow. What happened? Well, there's there's a place called the Westfield Century City Mall. When I lived in Los Angeles, my wife and I were there often, you know, certainly uh, twice a month. It was a nice mall. It had stores that were the sort of stores we needed, and we uh, uh, we tended to patronize. So C- Century City Mall, Westfield Century City Mall, just off Pico Boulevard in West Los Angeles, near Westwood, um, what happened is nine guys came rushing in to the Gucci store, if you own not mind. Now, I've never bought a Gucci thing in my life and I'm, I'm not likely to, but I understand there are people for whom it's important and it's significant and, and it may even be good quality. I have absolutely no idea, but I do know it's expensive. Nine guys rush into the Gucci store at the Westfield Century City Mall in West Los Angeles, nine of them, and they take their time, they fill up everything, they take everything off the, the shelves, and everybody stands and looks. They didn't brandish any weapons. They didn't need to because they knew what the routine is already. And then they ran out. And if you see it online, the security guy sort of strolls. Remember the word I used earlier in the show? amble. He ambled to watch them disappearing down the center of the shopping mall. Um, The same day. That same day, about 50 miles south of uh, that shopping mall in a town in Orange County called Irvine, again, um, you know, an upper end shopping center, uh, a jewelry store, right? An upscale jewelry store. Three guys rush in and help themselves and walk out with $900,000 worth of jewels, you know, watches, jewelry, and so on. Uh, you know what a reality denier is? A reality denier is somebody who thinks it's a good idea to stop punishing criminals, who thinks it's a good idea to install George Soros-recommended district attorneys, who will not prosecute crime if it is committed by select groups of Americans, and um, they just won't. They won't prosecute a crime, and A reality denier is somebody who thinks you can go ahead, stop punishing crime, stop catching crime, stop uh, uh, treating crime as the serious problem it is, and it's not going to result in a whole lot more of that very crime. A reality denier believes that in the interests of whatever kind of justice you think it is, you can stop prosecuting crime because it's just the rich people and it's just the insurance companies that'll have to pay. But meanwhile, these are poor people suffering from the, uh, uh, the policies of evil governments. And these poor people are just trying to live and get enough food to eat and uh, like Gucci bags and so on. Uh, a reality denier is somebody who, who thinks that you can do all those things, stop punishing crime, uh, stop treating criminals seriously, um, stop having police enforcement, and that this will not result in conditions that make it impossible for human beings to live. That's a reality denier. Uh, Another reality denier is that you can take money from some people by aggressive taxation and you can give it to other more favored groups in the form of welfare payments and the many 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 different kinds of welfare payments and that this will in no way reduce the economic productivity of that society. So in other words redistribution you can take money from uh, those who produce it and give it to those who consume it, and it's not going to have a bad effect on society. That is a reality denier. A reality denier is somebody who sees no difference between producers and parasites. no difference at all. That's a reality denier. A reality denier believes that the government can print money by the bucket load, and that the government will go ahead and just distribute all this money that it produces in the form of forgiven student loans and in this form of COVID payments, and that a government can do all that, and this will not debase the currency through inflation. That would be a reality denier, Okay. That's what a reality denier is. Another reality denier um, believes that what's been happening at Texas Children's Hospital in Houston, Texas, is perfectly natural and perfectly normal. As a matter of fact, it's because of uh, various puberty blockers and other hormone treatments that were given to children as young as 11 that uh, the Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton launched an official investigation in the spring of 2023 saying that children are not to be treated as science experiments. And uh, the state legislator uh, got the votes to pass a bipartisan bill that would outlaw so-called gender-affirming care for minors. And... um, one of the things that's been happening there is that uh, one of the providers, a Dr. Richard Roberts, apparently, um, is uh, is treating these transgender patients, these very young transgender patients. And what is being reported by City Journal and and other places is that uh, many of these young children who are just easily being subjected to serious treatment for so-called gender disorder, uh, they have serious mental health issues. Some are autistic, they've had suicide attempts, they're depressed, they're on anxiety medication, they have a disability of some kind, and nonetheless, off they go with bringing about these really scary changes. A reality denier thinks that's wonderful. Okay, and and I think it's it's important to to try and get that clear. Now you're getting a sense of what a reality denier is, right? Uh, so you want another example of what a reality denier is? Sure. So Oregon Health and Science University, which is a public teaching hospital in downtown Portland, um, well, they have a program led by a surgeon. Who calls himself? He's Blair Peters. He, he calls himself. He's. I'm a queer surgeon, whatever that means. And he wears neon pink hair, and he specializes in. And I'm not going to tell you what these specific surgeries are. Suffice it to say that they are surgeries that tamper with the genitals of men and women. In an. Well, <laughs> let's just leave it at that. Uh, Blair Peters specializes in, and I'll give you the names of the surgeries, vaginoplasty, phalloplasty, and non-binary surgeries, mm-hmm. which remove all the gen- genitals entirely. And um, this surgeon has come up with a robot, which basically mechanically castrates male patients in under the illusion that he's going to be able to give them female genitalia uh, business is booming i've got to tell you down there in downtown portland oregon uh, they handle two patients a day with their robot assisted machine and uh, they got a 12 to 18 month waiting list and um, they're as busy as could be doing all of this um listen Talking about uh, reality deniers, um, there is a paper, there's a scientific paper called Overview of Surgical Techniques in Gender Affirming Genital Surgery. And I'll spare you the most gruesome aspects of it, but I would like to read to you the abstract, and I'm only going to read the first three lines of the abstract. Gender related. Genitouniery surgeries are vitally important in the management of gender dysphoria. Vaginoplasty, phalloplasty, and their associated surgeries help patients achieve their main goal of aligning their body and their mind. These surgeries warrant careful adherence, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, because there are many, many complications. And the next few lines talk about all the horrifying complications that can result from this surgery. But what I want to focus on is aligning their body and mind. Isn't that extraordinary? So uh, think of, um, you know, during the 80s, we, we saw the arrival and the spread of eating disorders, mostly among young women. And an anorexia became, if you like, the trance of its day in the 80s because it was the most fashionable thing. And, and I know that, uh, that it's, it's been deathly dangerous. Many young women have died. I mean, this is no joke. However, that also doesn't mean that it is a real physical disease. What it means is that something goes wrong with a person's mind, and they then act in a very dangerous and destructive way. And so what did they do? Back in the 80s, when anorexia was beginning to boom and into the 90s, and so you've got young women believing that they're overweight and too large, and they would start tormenting their bodies, depriving their bodies of food and all kinds of things in order to get rid of all this disgusting, gross, extra weight they have. When you actually looked at a young woman suffering from uh, aggravated anorexia, she looked perfectly normal. She had a fine figure, no problem. So what did surgeons do? Did surgeons come in and graft on big, huge stomachs onto these girls to bring their bodies into alignment with their sad and sick minds? No, of course not. They put them into the charge of psychiatrists in the hope of helping them see that they have to understand they're perfectly healthy and perfectly normal. So in other words, I understand aligning body and mind is really helpful. Uh, For as long as I wanted to be a ballet dancer, my mind and my body were simply out of alignment and I was just painful and miserable. For as long as I wanted to be a uh, a professional footballer. I wanted to be a linebacker. Um, It was terrible because my body and my mind were not in alignment. So what do you do? Do you inflict irreparable surgical damage on the body in order to make it conform to the mind? Or do you first try and adjust the mind to make it accept the body as it is? Not even a question. It's pretty obvious, right? And so I'll read the uh, three lines from the abstract of the overview of surgical techniques in gender affirming genital surgery again. Uh, Gender-related genitouniery surgeries are vitally important in the management of gender dysphoria. Vaginoplasty, phalloplasty, and the associated surgeries help patients achieve their main goal of aligning their body and mind. And I'm wondering, like, why do none of the four doctors involved in this study say, wait a sec, why should we do these unbelievably destructive and mutilating surgeries on men and women with healthy bodies when all we really have to do is work on their minds? We have to help them understand and get to know what they are yes we do have to bring a we have to bring body and mind into alignment but do we do it by irreparable damage to the body or do we start off with the mind and it's weird to me that in every area whether it was anorexia or uh, the little guy wanting to be a linebacker or the big guy wanting to be a ballet dancer you help them by talking with them and helping them come to see that they have to change their mind about what they really are. You really aren't a linebacker on the NFL team. It's just not going to be. That's not who you are. You don't embark on surgery right away unless, well, unless you are a reality denier. That's right. Being a reality denier allows all of these things to happen. All right, that's what we have to understand. Um, and it, it really is very helpful to look back and go back to the 80s and, uh, and see how frequently uh, mostly young uh, university student young women uh, began to um, speak about having anorexia. Uh, this, you may remember, happened at the same time that Karen Carpenter... That the the, the carpenters, the, that beautiful singing group, from in 1983 she died, and at from that point, like anorexia got this huge boost, and um, uh, a particular um, professor who taught in New York colleges in the mid 80s writes that um, these 18 year old students were not disturbingly underweight. They aspired to be anorexic. Anorexia was a prestige diagnosis. Now, that is very interesting. So, um, yeah, look, uh, you've got to start thinking in terms of uh, gender dysphoria a little bit like anorexia, because the incredible increase in people diagnosed with, uh, with gender dysphoria In keeping with the guidelines of the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of the Mental Health Profession, um, that increase has been so dramatic that you'd have to say that there's been mass poisoning of the American water supply, or something must be going on, or else, yes, it is a prestige diagnosis. Um, Both neuroses are clearly communicable, gender dysphoria and anorexia. Uh, this professor writes, ever since the preoccupation with thinness took off in the 60s, eating disorders soared, making the more recent insistence that anorexia is more of a heritable genetic proclivity than a cultural contagion very dubious. In other what he's saying is there was an attempt to suggest that uh, anorexia was inherited and genetic. And so he says, no, it's a cultural contagion, it's spread. It's like a a virus that spreads spiritually. From the 70s onwards, an accelerating number of young women have got the idea to express their discontent through debilitating hunger from lavish media coverage. He said, since 2010, the number of teenage girls referred to the the Tavistock Gender Identity Development Service increased by 5,000%. Making claims of a purely genetic explanation of gender dysphoria uh, ridiculous. Uh, these are social contagions. So anyway, be aware that is uh, to to buy into the stuff is to be a reality denier. Um, Justin Trudeau, Prime Minister of Canada, just uh, a reality denier deluxe. He's like really a fantastically ardent reality denier. How do we know? Well, listen to the uh, tweet that he sent out last week, I think it was. Hi, everyone. Sophie. Sophie's his wife's name. Seems perfectly nice lady. Sophie and I would like to share the fact that after many meaningful and difficult conversations, we have made the decision to separate. That's right. Justin Trudeau, Prime Minister of Canada, is getting divorced. Uh, From the little amount of time I devoted to look into it, it seems his wife initiated it. She wants nothing more to do with him. And I think in that she probably shares a great deal with many Canadians. But at any rate, uh, he continues his tweet. As always, we remain a close family with deep love and respect for each other and for everything we have built and will continue to build. My dear happy warriors, when you get a divorce, that's the end of a family. A family is when a man and a woman marry. That's the start of a family. And then they have children, they have a family. When they get divorced, that breaks up the family. That's why divorce is called a family wrecker, a family breaker-upper. That's what divorce is. It terminates the family. Now, any normal person who understands reality gets that. But reality deniers will look you in the eye And tell you, we're getting divorced, but uh, my wife and I are dedicated to um, our family and we will continue loving and respecting everyone in our family and we'll continue to build our family. It's madness, complete and utter lunacy. He then writes, for the well-being of our children, we ask that you respect our and their privacy. What on earth does that mean? It's another part of reality denial. Am I violating his request for privacy by talking about it? Well, hello, when you're the Prime Minister of Canada, you don't get privacy. That's why you get the big bucks. That's why you get the limousines. That's why you get the respect. That's why you get from many the adulation. But what you don't get to ask for is privacy. Sorry, that's not how the world really works. It just doesn't. So... um, So, I really want you to become aware that uh, reality denial is a genuine state. It's a condition. It should be in the DSM-5 or 6, but it isn't and it won't be. Uh, Reality denial, recognize it around you, and it is easier to cope with once you know it's there and what it is. Now, I have to tell you about a letter that I've received and which I said I would answer on the podcast. And that's exactly what I intend doing. Um, The letter's from a guy, Ryan. And uh, Ryan is not a reality denier, but he does need guidance. He was wise enough to listen to a happy warrior who is a mutual friend of both he and me. Both Ryan and me are friendly with this happy warrior. And she advised him to ask his question to me. That was the first step. Now, is he wise enough to hear and understand my answer? That, I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll come to, uh, to know that eventually, and I will let you know. But here is Ryan's question, if you don't mind. Dear Rabbi Lappin, I've been asked by my friend, and he mentions her name, to write to you about my life choice to be a magto. Now, uh, I'll fill you in just a little bit. For those of you who uh, have led admirably sheltered lives, you may not know what a MAGTO is, M-G-T-O-W. It stands for Men Going Their Own Way, Men Going Their Own Way. If you've heard of the red pill movement, if you've heard of incels, involuntary celibate guys, to be honest, I don't know how big a movement this is. It's all over the internet. That is for sure. It's all over YouTube. It's all over the place. I don't know that that necessarily means it's a big thing. But it is there. And uh, Ryan has been incredibly influenced by that. But let his letter speak for itself. My life choice to be a magto. As a rule, magtos tend to keep ourselves to ourselves a Magto is a man that chooses to be sexless for various reasons. I already know you think we're losers who can't get a woman. (laughs) How well my listeners know me. But that's not necessarily true. In this case, uh, I'm not necessarily sure that he's a loser. Ryan, I think, is is quite a young guy. Uh, I already know you think... I already know you think we're losers who can't get a woman and in some cases you're not wrong but more often it's just that we don't want one get it that's what he's saying so he's a magto and he's going his own way he doesn't want anything to do with women and he's going to explain more here he goes the tinder economy is a concept created by online dating When access to people is opened up, there is a disparity between men and women. 80% choose 10% of men. He means 80% of women choose 10% of men. This leaves 90% of men fighting for the bottom 20% of women. There are two effects created by the Tinder economy. The top 80% of women are all sharing the same small pool of men. This means they are competing and do so by having sex with more of these men. The term for this is the muddy pool. The bottom 20% of women all have multiple men at any given time fighting for their attentions. I'm not going to comment on this just yet, but uh, I will of course come back to to explain just uh, why um, Ryan is so completely wrong. But he continues. I'm an average guy. Average in height, average in looks, average in intellect, average in physical ability, average in earning income. 80% of women in America earn more than the national average. If I attempt to date in the muddy pool, then I'm left with a woman who has had sex with multiple men who are also cheating on her. Cheating is a way of life for her. I don't want that to be my life, so I do not date from the muddy pool. If I date a bottom 20% woman, then she's a 304, because men have lined up for her, and she gets her pick. I don't want a 304. You're probably wondering what a 304 is, and if you have lived an admirably sheltered life, you don't know, and God bless you for that. Sadly, I do know what it is. Um, Do you remember uh, those old calculators where the numbers were shown on seven segment displays a seven segment display is dividing up the number eight into the seven lines that make it so you put down you know um, you make a square of lines one line on each side that's four lines and then add on another three on top to make another square so you've now got two squares and by turning on and off various segments those in those uh, nixie tubes or or in those leds uh you turn them on so if you turn the two vertical on the left plus the bottom plus the bottom one on the right plus the crossbar you have a six uh, if you um, if you do the uh top bar the vertical the top vertical the bottom vertical and the bottom crossbar and then the crossbar in the middle you have a three you get the idea right how do you do a four well you have to do the uh, top left vertical the bottom left vertical uh, the crossbar and the two right verticals and um, there you've got the closest resemblance to a four that you can make out of the elements that make up a number eight well a 304 is if you enter 304 on an old-fashioned calculator, and you turn it upside down and read it from the other side, you're reading 403. And that's, if you now imagine it to be letters, that 4 looks exactly like an H, the 0 looks like an O, and the 3 looks exactly like an E. And I think you get the picture there. So, uh, 304, you can tell Ryan has been enormously influenced by the internet because that is the uh, kind of nomenclature you, uh, you find on the internet all the time. So, uh, if I date a bottom 20% woman, then she's a 304 because men have lined up for her. She gets so big. I don't want a 304. He continues, one third of married women in America re- admit to cheating on their husbands. Most commonly, they say it's because they don't find their husband exciting. So they remain married for the benefits, but cheat consistently. This is the product of the Tinder economy. Tinder is a dating website. He continues, 88% of divorces in America are initiated by the wife. So if I do get married and she cheats on me, then she also gets half my money in custody of my children. If I'm building a business and I have a foundation built, then she takes half my foundation, then that's all of my future wiped out. She doesn't steal my paycheck, but robs my potential. All this is after cheating on me. The odds of a marriage working in my favor are almost zero. And his last paragraph is, I could get a woman if I want to, but is she a woman worth having? Part of being a magto is choosing not to have sex. The longer a man goes without sex, the less he desires it. By the way, that is the one true and accurate sentence in this entire letter, Ryan. That is true. Uh, the longer a man goes without sex, the less he desires it. magtau's just choose to focus on ourselves and our businesses rather than some 304. H-O-E, right? Get it? It's a better life. We have our friends and our businesses and our own futures. We choose this life because we are worth more than the women in the dating pool who disdain us, call us boring, cheat on us, and don't respect us. Well, well, well. Okay, um, now we go back to the beginning, and I explain uh, just how dreadfully wrong you are, Ryan. And uh, I do hope that uh, this is useful not only to you but to any other men who have been seduced by internet thinking. You've got to be independent, guys, and you've got to you you can't buy into all everything you read online. And I'll explain. Now, Ryan started off by saying uh, that he chooses to be sexless. He says, I know you think we're losers who can't get a woman. In some cases, you're not wrong, but more often it's that we don't want one. Okay, Um, Ryan, to to choose to be sexless because you are doing something else. And I'm thinking here in terms of – there are priests who choose to be celibate. Now, that I get. I understand it. I don't agree with it. It's not part of my faith. Uh, I don't think it's ideal, but I do understand it, and I even admire it in certain ways. But that's not where you are. You are saying that uh, you choose to have no relationship with a woman um, because it can only go badly for you. And in that sense, I, I think you're very, very wrong. And um, and that brings us to the next aspect of your error. You see, what's, what's wrong there, Ryan, is that um, it's a little bit like somebody saying, and I realize it's not a perfect analogy because there's an action involved in amputating an arm. But somebody who says, you know, I'm, I'm really okay without an arm. There are a lot of disadvantages to an arm. It takes longer to get dressed. You've got to put two arms through the uh, arm holes in your jacket or your shirt. And it's just not really necessary. So you imagine somebody who maybe lost an arm in an accident has the opportunity to get a replacement arm. And he's, ah, you know, I'm, I'm good. I don't need a, an arm. I'm fine without it. And I would say to him, you are unnecessarily depriving yourself of part of the richness of living. Now, secondly, uh, you are actually going to be handicapped in that way. It's not as if operating without an arm is without consequence. That isn't correct. There is consequence. And just as choosing to be armless is not a decision without consequences, negative consequences. Uh, So is choosing to be sexless, not a decision without consequence. And particularly at your stage of life, Ryan, um, you are depriving yourself of a source of energy and creativity and masculinity, all of which are nurtured by a proper relationship with a woman. You are choosing to deprive yourself of those benefits. And um, I am not alone among people who easily can identify individuals such as yourself. In other words, there really is a noticeable effect on your being. And it's not a good effect, but okay, let's let's move on. Your next paragraph talks about the Tinder economy and uh, the the fact that uh, on Tinder uh, the majority of women are saying are, are swiping right, meaning they accept the overtures from only uh, a small percentage of the men and whatever the actual numbers are nobody really knows for sure uh, whether tinder releases accurate stats or not is in is in doubt but either way it it makes perfect sense because in one way or another because obviously there are more men out searching for women than there are women out there searching for men you don't need to be a a, a data scientist to know that simple reality and so obviously There are many, many, many more men than women on these dating apps, even though, uh, shamefully, many of these apps conjure up fake uh, women in order to give men the illusion that there are actually a lot of women on the site. But um, uh, the reality, of course, is that, yeah, there are a limited number of, of women on the site, and they can afford to be very picky. This is very much like what happens on university campuses, where there used to be very few women and a lot of men. So it happened that the women were able to pick the best of men, which they happily did. Uh, And they were able to maintain their standards, and they were able to uh, not uh, submit to uh, pressure to do things they didn't want to do. But then when the numbers changed on campuses, and it quickly became to be six girls for every four boys, and then it became seven to three, well, what happened now is that uh, the girls had to compete among themselves for a very limited pool of guys. And the results for the women were not good at all, as you can imagine. So, when you speak about the Tinder economy, meaning that that Tinder dating world, yeah, um, I, I think that's that's a crazy place for any guy who's looking for a serious and meaningful relationship to go. It's it's completely ridiculous. But here, Ryan, is the monumental fallacy in your argument. In a way what you are doing is falling into the trap of Marxism and Wokism, basically the trap loved by reality deniers, which is that all women and all men are lumped together, and all people with black skin are lumped together, and all people with white skin are lumped together. The absurdity of this is so manifest that it can only appeal to a reality denier the notion that all men fall into this unified category it's absurd Um, i recently heard somebody claim that because 94 percent of the people that of the americans that have been shot by policemen are men. This is this shows that there is a war on men. <laughs> no, it's because men commit and are more involved in crime than women by that ratio. It's as simple as that. And violent crime is predominantly the uh, domain of men. And so, yes, the people who end up in violent confrontations with police are invariably men, period, end of story. That's all there is to it. But the notion that this now is of relevance, uh, to all men. right? The, I, I dare say a very large number of men have never had any interaction whatsoever with the criminal justice system. And the notion that they are somehow also under attack, I mean, every time you start lumping together in this fashion, uh, it's a big mistake. One of the things that data scientists are very careful about is exactly how they do classify groups. And when it is done, it is done as carefully and as meticulously and as precisely as possible. And seldom do they draw rampant, wild and wide conclusions from such groupings. So, yes, Ryan, in the small universe, a relatively small universe of men who depend upon the app called Tinder for their meeting of women, um, yeah, I guess uh, I guess the pickings are slim. I, I wouldn't be at all surprised. I get that. Um, are there some guys who do well there, as you suggest? Yeah, probably. But in terms of what I'm talking about and what I think you are and what I hope you are talking about is not a meaningless dalliance, but finding a woman with whom to marry and build a life together why on earth would you be looking on tinder and so the mistake you're making ryan is um is assuming that what is true in that little dark and sordid world of tinder is true also in the big wide world out there and so that pretty much dispenses with your uh, your whole second paragraph uh, starting with the Tinder economy as a concept creator, yeah, um, but assuming that that's the whole world of male-female relationships is preposterous. Nothing could be further from the truth. Okay, then we go to your third paragraph. Where you start off by saying, "I'm an average guy, average height, average looks, average intellect, average physical ability, average in earning income, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. Okay, uh, I don't think that one knows what average is. All right, average height for men uh, five foot ten. Okay, fine. Okay, average in looks. These again are all internet uh, terminologies. You know, average in height, average in looks. These these things can be very subjective, particularly since while men may be looking primarily not all men but many men looks wise that's not necessarily the starting point for all women things are different so for you to say you're average in looks average in intellect like compared to who what I I really dismiss um, the first two sentences of that whole thing and then you say if I attempt to date in the muddy pool I'm left with a woman who's had all right fine I've already explained if you date in tinder you deserve what you get but why on earth would you be there what's what's that all about it makes absolutely no sense do you have no friends do you have no married friends do you have no relatives do you have no aunts and uncles do you have no cousins do you have nobody at all who could be looking out for you for a really nice girl or is it possible I hope this is not the case but I have to acknowledge it because I don't know you is it possible that in spite of your declarations that you are average in all areas, and Ryan, heaven's sake, I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm really not trying to be mean or nasty or to make you feel bad in any way at all. But at the same time, I don't believe you want me to massage you with warm butter. I think you wrote to me because you wanted to hear the reality. You wanted to hear how the world really works. And in that sense, I hope you're not a reality denier, but you certainly know that I, am not a reality denier at all. And so, uh, it's. Um, is it possible that you have not yet made of yourself the sort of man that your relatives and friends would say, hey, you know what? There's this girl my sister went to school with. She's really lovely. And I think the two of you would hit it off. Is it possible that you haven't yet made of yourself the person that tends to encourage other people to say, hey, I know a nice girl for you. That's very important, because if, if the reputation you've acquired and the impression you radiate to others is being insubstantive and exploitative and a player, as they say, then, yeah, such, you know, people would not want to introduce you to any girls that they thought highly of. So that is really a, a big question. As far as Tinder's concerned, let's just dismiss it. It's not part of this conversation. You write as if that defines the reality in the world today. And in this sense, I fear you are unduly influenced by the Internet. And I see that in a a number of places in your letter that give me that clue. I don't believe that that is the case. And uh, the, the Internet is a, a narrow part of life. It is certainly not all of life. And the uh, you, you really must get rid of the idea that what happens on Tinder defines reality. It really, really doesn't. Then you say 88% of divorces in America are initiated by the wife. I have no idea where you dug that statistic up other than some unsubstantiated website. Uh, that's simply not true. There are discussions. They're they're trying to get clear. I'm sure you understand, Ryan, the enormous difficulty in trying to establish that number accurately. Divorces initiated by the wife. What does that mean? What it certainly doesn't mean is that the very first time the legal system hears about a divorce, it's from the women, 88%. It's simply not true. Now, what happens is when people are interviewed – sometimes and more often than not, a man will say, um, you know, when, if you say to him, so whose idea was it to get divorced? He'll say my wife's. But she was simply the first person to bring it out, as very often is the case. Women talk more than men. They communicate more effectively. Men's default behavior when they're feeling hurt or deprived in certain ways is to retreat into a glacial silence. Women don't. Women want to talk. And uh, I think you recognize that in the history of humanity, um, I don't think any husband has ever said to his wife, honey, you know, we really don't do enough talking. Why don't we sit down and have a talk? Right? But uh, the other way around, sure. Uh, something that strikes dread into the heart of men is when their wife say, says, uh, uh, honey, can we talk? I have something I have to discuss with you. I, that that scares men. So uh, what happens is that men create an environment where divorce is increasingly likely and inevitable. And then it's the woman who says, you know, I don't know if we can carry on like this. I think we're heading towards a divorce. Oh, look who brought it up first. That's where this is coming from. Okay. In terms of wanting to bail out of a marriage, Okay, the idea that it is more women—it suits the um, the reality denier narrative, because they want to say, "See, look what a good job we've done, in getting women economic equity, and so now they're able to get away from these abusive marriages." Uh, Ryan, it's simply not true. That's not a picture that is in any way accurate of reality. So please. It's meaningless to tell me 88% of divorces in America are initiated by law. It's simply, I mean, it's it's not real. The bottom line is there are a lot of divorces. I, I agree with you on that, no question. And uh, if a divorce happens and it can go badly, will the woman take the children and will she get a substantial portion of your assets? Very probably in most cases. Is it right? Of course not. It's just part of the the general. Um, and unfairness in in certain ways towards men i i get that but your marriage doesn't have to be part of that statistic let me explain what i mean Uh, within about uh, three miles of where we live there is a woman who has seven children just like my wife does Accepting that her seven children were fathered by seven different men, none of whom are still in her life or in the lives of the children they created. My wife has been married and has been the best wife any man could hope for, for a few decades already. That woman has never been married but she has temporarily lived with many different men. My wife has been part of an economic enterprise that has consistently provided for our family. That other woman, three miles from here, who also has seven children, she hasn't worked for 20 years. She receives government payments my wife has drunk alcohol one time in her life since we're married and um, has never had any drugs enough said right I don't have to tell you about this other woman I'm describing and now what happens is you look at official statistics and um, and they say half you know, you, you look at my wife and you look at this one, they say half of women with seven children are suffering financial poverty. Well, wait a sec. <laughs> wait a second. This, this is not right. You, what you have to do is you have to classify my wife with many wives in the religious Jewish community and many wives in the religious Christian community. And uh, and you and then say now what percentage of these of these mothers of seven children are suffering? And the answer is pretty much nobody. And now you have to compare that other woman with with other women who have seven children from seven different men and who live on government welfare, and then you can make a conclusion about them. In other words. Um, lumping together apples and oranges and then deriving results from your statistics is complete nonsense. The reality is America is no longer one nation under God. America is now two completely separate, disparate nations, and um, there is a mighty chasm that cuts through like a canyon between them. These are two separate Americas. One America is an America that believes that Judeo-Christian Bible-based values are vital for survival, and the other America is made up of people who believe that Judeo-Christian values are um, horrible obstructions to progress. These are two completely incompatible views, and these are two completely incompatible groups of Americans. And so no longer is America one nation under God. America is two nations at war with one another, occupying the same real estate, a recipe for disaster. And um, there are very obvious and inevitable consequences to these two worldviews that are at war with one another. One of them produces a catalog of lamentable pathologies, and the other tends to produce far more successful living. That's just how it is. It's the reality. And so to, to speak now about all these divorces and you don't have much chance, well, yes, if you want to put yourself into the Tinder world, then, yeah, I guess all kinds of things could happen. But why would you do that? Only a tiny minority of men in America meet their wives on tinder and by the way there are other dating sites uh, on the internet some of which are okay because they don't encourage that kind of behavior and so uh, the odds of a marriage working in your favor are almost zero that's what you write to me really why why not choose to be part of america and i i'm assuming you're in america because you're quoting america why not choose to be part of America, where the marriage rate is close to hundred percent? Really, it really is close. Oh, the divorce rate in America is about fifty percent. Well, it isn't actually. That's lumping together second and third marriages with first, and obviously they're more a higher proportion of second marriages are divorce, and a higher even higher proportion of third marriages. The reason is because it's easier to do something the second time after you've done it the first time. If you're on a diet and you stick on the diet and you resist running down to the refrigerator in the middle of the night and eating a plate full of chocolate eclairs, um, then that's great. But if you break it and you do do that, the next night it's actually easier to do it again. And the third night it's even easier. Whenever you do something, it becomes, and you know this from exercise and from for good and bad. Uh, the more you do something, the, uh, the more accustomed you are to it. You yourself said it earlier, right? When I, I quote you when you said, um, um, the longer a man goes without sex, the less he desires it. That's right. And so uh, the, um, the, 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 the notion that divorce is 50% not true. What happens is in second marriages, it's pretty high because having done it once, it's easier to take recourse in divorce. Third lump all those statistics together. And then for the whole lot of them, uh, the figures about 42% as, as best as we can find out. And uh, and that means that it doesn't mean that everyone in America who gets married has a 42% chance of getting divorced. married for the first time has a 42%. No, it doesn't mean that. You first got to decide which America are you in because there's one America where your chances of getting divorced are low, very, very, very low. There's another part of America where it's very, very high. And the average, you average everyone together, it's about 42%. But that's not your figure. Your figure depends on the kind of marriage you make and build. Come on, you get that, Ryan. And all your letter's doing is throwing at me these internet stats all based on on tinder dating it it doesn't work that's not reality and so um, the odds of a marriage working out in my favor almost zero not true Uh, if you go one direction then they probably are pretty close to zero if you go the other direction they're pretty close to a hundred but there isn't such a thing as the average person in this context and then you go on and you say, I could get a woman if I wanted to, but is she a woman worth having? Well, that's your choice. And are the real question I have to ask myself, and I mean no disrespect to you because I don't know you at all, but looking at you just as the average guy, the way you described yourself to me, I have to ask yourself, ask you, are you a man worth having? That's an important question. Because if you are, then you could get a woman worth having also but if you're not, then don't be surprised. You continue, and we're on the last paragraph now. Part of being a MGTOW is choosing not to have sex. Yeah. Um, as, as I compared it earlier, choosing to be one arm a one-armed man, um, I don't doubt you can survive, but you're handicapping yourself terribly in terms of thriving. And that's why when I speak of the five Fs, one of them is family, And part of family is a rewarding and joyful and passionate sex life. It's not only a pleasure, it's not only a natural part of life, but it makes you a better man. It's an important thing. And wise wives know and understand this. And that's why being married to a wise woman is so wonderful. The longer a man goes without sex, the less he desires it. Absolutely true. But that's the only true sentence in your letter, my friend. magtau's just choose to focus on ourselves and on our businesses. Let me tell you something, my friend. Um, yourself and your business are handicapped if you don't have a wife. Why? Well, first of all, uh, just in terms of health. Everybody knows married men not only live longer, they live far healthier married men here i'm I'm quoting you genuine medical statistics married men recover from major illness and surgery far more reliably and quickly and durably than single men do single men also uh, suffer from more of these pathologies as far as your business is concerned um, having a great wife is a huge asset in building a business and uh, and i can explain this in, in in very simple terms as i said earlier in the show making money is dependent on having a lot of people who know you, like you, and trust you. And in terms of people knowing you and liking you, a wife is a colossal asset. It's hard, it's hard to adequately um, measure how much of an asset a wife is. You are hugely hindered because socially, and it's out of social engagements that business very often results. But socially, people tend to get together in couples, which is one of the reasons that a lot of single people who decide to stay single suddenly find themselves miserable as more and more of their friends get married. Because they had always, well, we'll still hang out together. No, you actually won't. Because if uh, if you're a woman and uh, little by little, all you, or the majority of your women friends get married, they're now spending a lot more time with their husbands. And when they do uh, socialize, they'll tend to socialize with their husbands, with other couples. And so you as a Magtow are left out in the cold, regardless of what red pill literature tells you and regardless of what MagTow websites tell you. Don't be misled by this stuff, my friend. You, you really misuse your own judgment and your own discernment and uh, do your own research. Don't just buy into this stuff. And, uh, and so to say that you just choose to focus on yourselves and your business, um, good luck to you, pal, because I wouldn't bet on you. Seriously. And, and I'll tell you now, if, if I'm going to invest in a startup and let's say two startups come to me, and they're both equally, um, in all ways, you know, everything is everything is the same. The only difference is the principal in one case is a single guy, and the principal in the other case is a happily married guy. Do you really think I and most other serious people would would spend more than a millisecond deciding who to go with? Single single guys are, well you get the idea. Um, We uh, are much more likely to invest in a company being run or started or handled or led or, or managed by a happily married guy. So telling me that you're going to be womanless and you're just going to focus on yourself and your business, well, I don't hold out much hope for yourself because you really need a wife to stay healthy and um, I don't hold out much hope for your business because you really will find it very, very difficult unless you are a, uh, some startup wizard, you know, and that, that you're, um, you're able to, to do things that are very rare. But in the long story of economic development in America and throughout the West, uh, married men outperform single men hugely. Um, so he says, I just choose folks on ourselves and our business rather than some unworthy woman. It's a better life. Um, actually, no. You may tell yourself that, Ryan, but if it was a better life, more men would do it. And the men who do it wouldn't need to have to reassure themselves how wonderful it is to be a magtao and to form little incel groups to reassure one another. Nah, it's not a better life, Ryan. It really isn't. And your last couple of sentences... We have our friends and our businesses and our own futures. Well, as I said to you, you have your friends, but it's a limited uh, duration there because your friends um, are, are getting married unless you are only going to restrict yourself only to friends in the Magtaw community such as it is. I don't think so. And your businesses, well, I've discussed that. And we focus on our own futures. You don't have a future, my friend. That's what I'm trying to tell you. One of the great gifts that having a woman in your life brings you is children. And one of the great benefits of children is you develop an intuitive sense of the future. And very few things are more valuable in business than a strong intuitive sense of future. You denying yourself that. And so your, your, your letter is really full of lies, unintentional. I'm not saying you try to lie to me, but it's full of lies. We have our friends and our businesses and our futures no you do not we choose this life because we are worth more than the women in the dating pool who disdain us yeah if you're going to talk about the dating pool like what is that tinder what is the dating pool have you ever stopped in at your local church have you ever spoken to the pastor and said i'd like you to get to know me because i'm hoping to be able to meet my future wife have you ever sat down and said that to anybody seriously but as long as you're talking about the dating pool, I'm not sure I know why any person of substance would, would want to introduce you to a great girl. I don't know. Uh, we choose this life because we are worth more than the women in the dating, but I'm not sure you are, who disdain us, call us boring, and cheat on us. Hey, if a hat fits, um, and they don't respect us. Let me tell you something, Ryan. Respect is earned. Respect is commanded, not demanded. Hey, Listen to my accent. I lost my accent there for a moment. <laughs> Funny. Um, makes more sense, though, when you think about it. I've often said in English, I say you can or you can't. And so you can tell which one I'm saying, because it's not just whether you pick up the T at the end. Uh, in, in American, it's can and can't. It's not always that easy. So um, the the point goes to me when it comes to can and can't. Demand, command is what I should have said. At any rate, um, when you whine that these women don't respect us, my first response is, well, are you a man who commands respect? And Ryan, at the end of the day, that is the main question you have to ask yourself. Oh, dear. Um, I hope, I very much hope that uh, I'll make sure that uh, you hear that, Ryan. And uh, I'd like to, if you feel like it, let me know how how you react. That's tough medicine. I didn't massage you with warm butter, that's for sure. That was tough medicine without doubt. But uh, uh, it was the truth. It was how the world really works. And uh, it was the key to improving your life in big ways all right ladies and gentlemen and ryan everybody um every single happy warrior the website you know rabbidaniellappin.com subscribe here on the platform you listen to this on and until next week i want to wish you a week of growth in your family and in your finances in your faith in your fitness and in your friendships onwards and upwards god bless i'm Rabbi Daniel Lappin.